0: Any other questions for Michelangelo? All right, then we will um, go on to our next speaker, um, who has a very extremely brief bio, uh, so I'll elaborate slightly. Uh, (laughs) And as you all probably know her quite well, so uh, she's a program committee member here, critic for NPR, author and co editor of several books, (laughs) um, all around a great person uh, who I'm sure has brought a lot of us uh, to this conference um and to this room right now uh her next book which this i believe is a um preview of <laughs> is called uh rock me uh rock me with the oh gosh I Rock me with a steady role the erotic life of american music and uh she's going to talk about britney spears as cyborg hi so a few things one um i'm weirdly nervous two uh This thing was 5,600 words yesterday, so maybe that's why I'm nervous, so I hope I don't go too long. I've slashed and burned, including a section about Britney's influences that talked extensively about Aaliyah, and I thought about shoving it back in because of the Missy thing made me think about the importance of Aaliyah, but just, I thought we all, like, it was so obvious that Britney's influenced by Aaliyah and also the Jacksons, Michael and Janet. That I cut that part out, but I just want you to all know that that is what I believe. So, okay. And three, I'm really bad at PowerPoint, so I hope I don't mess this up. Okay, this is titled, actually titled, "Manifestos for Aerobic Cyborgs: The Rise of Britney Pop." <laughs> With her gorgeous flesh and deceptively thin voice, its metallic tone perfectly suited for manipulation, Britney Spears seemed from the beginning like a new hybrid, half classic American sweetheart and half Terminator. (laughs) She emerged in 1998 as the first major American sweetheart marketed to youths growing up on the Internet. Raised on Disney Madonna and the cosmetically obsessed beauty pageant culture of her native south, she heralded a new era in which music's body-bound pleasures would be framed by the ethereal tones and mechanized beats achieved in fully digitized recording studios. Her body, voice, and projected emotions were youthful, but washed clean of any adolescent awkwardness. Observers weren't sure what to call her, an adult teen, a baby babe, Here was a heroine for the high achievers, a little bit stronger, more focused, more bionically bodacious than anything that had come before. Camille Pauly's phrase for Spears... I don't know who made that. I totally ripped it off from the internet. Isn't it awesome? Camille Pauly's phrase for Spears, Lolita on aerobics, nicely Mm -hmm. sums up what the star projected, a self that was highly erotic but cold, streamlined, evocative of bodily perfection achieved through endless exercise routines. Though she dutifully performed vulnerable ballads alongside her synthesizer-driven dance hits, an early one was called Email My Heart, Spears became famous for more aggressive songs, addressing romance as a sometimes violent game. Sassy and down-to-earth in interviews, in her music, Spears seemed more human than human, the famous phrase describing the alluring android replicants in the prototypical 1982 cyberpunk movie Blade Runner. Spears was a virtual reality sensation before she became a physical one. To introduce the ingenue to her primarily teen audience, her label Jive focused on technology, establishing a toll-free number that allowed fans to hear samples of Spears' songs al- along with her own voice explaining the music and a worldwide web page displaying images, videotaped chats, and more musical nuggets. Teens... Discovered Brittany during breaks from playing fantasy video games like The Legend of Zelda. The association paid off. Baby One More Time debuted, her first album debuted at number one on the Billboard chart and then had four straight weeks of sales gains. The first album to do so in the era of the barcode tracking service SoundScan, which replaced the fallible process of human record store managers calling in reports and which ushered in the pop, Pops era of big data. Spears, riding on a wave of prefab pop that included harmonizing heartthrobs like the Backstreet Boys and the Spice Girls, England's doll-like answer to the monkeys, was even more seamlessly constructed, a girl actually born with a name that sounded like it came from a comic book or a porn movie. As an artist, she was the product of two factories, one that shaped her image and the other that concocted her sound. After a youthful stint on the new Mickey Mouse show, Spears signed with Jive Records and then entered into a deal with O Town, a teen pop fac- factory just miles from the amusement parks of Disney World. O Town, run by wealthy investor and later convicted felon, I believe Lou Perlman, specialized in pop packaging. It was there that Spears became associated with the boy bands, especially In Sync, whose de facto leader Justin Timberlake, also a former Mickey Mouser, became her first tabloid-endorsed sweetheart. <laughs> Like Spears, the boy bands went where, youngest lis- where the youngest listening generation lived, the mall and the internet. She and InSync toured shopping centers together in 1998, and I think I saw that tour, but I can't really remember, <laughs> singing to pre-recorded backing tracks. And they also engaged in newfangled forms of fan interaction in ethereal chat rooms. The other factory where Spears' stardom was assembled was in Stockholm, an ocean away from the roller coasters of Florida. There, she recorded much of her first album, under the guidance of heavy metal rocker-turned-hit-maker Max Martin. Writing and producing singles for both the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, as well as for polymath stars like Celine Dion and Ace of Bass, Martin had exhibited a knack for irresistibly repetitive melodies and hard-driving hooks. In Britney, he found his foil, a self-styled successor to Madonna and Michael Jackson, who sang in a style similar to her idol's, with a dancer's precise attention to rhythm and a child star's deeply ensconced sense of life as a show. Martin and Spears also shared an intense work ethic. Their approach to music making was the opposite of the punk-inspired spontaneity and slack embraced by 1990s rock stars like Nirvana. A 2001 Time Magazine profile of Martin described his recording studio technique as an exhausting process designed to produce something, as Martin said, direct, effective, we don't show off. Like a Volvo, the kind of car that proves that craft and care can still inhabit an assembly line. This notion of the new teen stars as willing cogs in a hit-making machine runs throughout the media's coverage of Spears and her contemporaries. It's familiar rhetoric, applied in the past to youthful sensations as diverse as Shirley Temple, several generations of teen idols, even the Beatles. What was new was the sense that the millennial stars were almost genetically designed to be famous. Consumed by teens alongside those video games I mentioned and heroines like Tomb Raider's Lara Croft, cinematically embodied in 2001 by Angelina Jolie, whose unusually voluptuous lips and eyes made her look like an animated character, these idols learned early to transcend limitation. In 1999, Rolling Stone magazine's annual hot issue named The Little Trooper as a hot career track, negatively comparing Spears and other young talents to previous adolescent celebrities like, I think, Danny Bonaducci, who were ostensibly more like regular people. Today's little troopers are showbiz lifers, pros since the minute they made it down to the hospital lobby, sporting cell phones and production deals while rattling on glibly in interviews about merch and market saturation. The image of a cell phone as a simultaneously dehumanizing and empowering tool reflected prevalent anxieties about how technology affected young people. What teens did on the relatively new internet mystified and frightened adults. And as has has happened so often before, uh, those fears were often focused on sexuality. Quote, call up Britney Spears on the web and you'll get something like 120 porn sites before you even hit one that's clean enough to be viewed by an 11-year-old girl, wrote the critic Gina Arnold in a screed against Spears in 2000. Because the World Wide Web was their birthright, teens were assumed to be skilled participants in this new realm. The Internet was their automobile, and sometimes they hopped in the back seat. (laughs) An overview of Spears-themed websites, including pornographic ones, also from 2000, quoted one Internet executive as saying, some of the Britney sites are really high-quality professional stuff, yet they have been created by computer-literate children. (laughs) Millennial teen stars both resisted and played into the idea that they were more human than human. The Backstreet Boys, who debuted in 1996 and were nominally the elders on the scene, greeted the year 2000 with the futuristically packaged album Millennium and a song called Larger Than Life, which slyly comes on sexually to young fans. Its video features the boys as mildly lecherous cyborgs in a phallic spaceship. I'm sorry I don't have a clip for you. (laughs) You you will run to look it up later. NSYNC went for a different image. The group outsold their big boys' brothers that year with the album No Strings Attached, whose cover portrayed the band as puppets freed from their strings and suddenly animate. Mm -hmm. The album included a song called Digital Get Down about the relatively new phenomenon of cybersex. Mm -hmm. Performing the song live, and again, you'll run for this clip later, the group Mm -hmm. appeared in cyborg guise humping the floor after apparently being generated within a display of frisky computer code. (laughs) These robot dream boats had nothing on Spears, though, when it came to embodying the promise and peril of the 21st century's new technological moment. She generally avoided science fiction metaphors, although she did appear as a comely (laughs) space alien in the video for the title track of her second album, Oops, I Did It Again. (laughs) Spears' android soul emerged in the music she made, especially with Martin and in the attitude it conveyed, a steely extreme of youthful femininity that was commanding and invulnerable, her doe eyes locked in a thousand-yard stare. She claimed to be a virgin when she first gained fame. I have no feelings at all, she said to one reporter, quizzed about (laughs) possible boyfriends. (laughs) All those feelings, she said to another, it's too much stress. (laughs) Making this resistance to emotion musical Spears, Martin, and her other producers structured her singles around the idea of control. She pushed out the chorus of... and I, In my longer version, I have a longer pa- passage about Baby One More Time, but she pushed out the chorus of Baby One More Time with the steely spit of a sparring partner, not the vulnerability of a victim. Oops, I Did It Again also framed romance within metaphors of manipulation and resistance. The oops signified Spears losing herself in love, but then walking away with a self-possessed sneer. I'm not that innocent, <laughs> she growled, as Martin's synthesizers created a huge door-slamming womp behind her. Other explorations of control and the loss of it followed. You drive me crazy, stronger, toxic, with its metaphor being poisoned, her duet with Madonna, Me Against the Music, in which the elder pop siren practically begs Brittany to lose control, Perhaps the most blatant Spears song in this vein, this is my favorite picture ever for any Spears, was I'm a Slave for You, written and produced by the hip-hop team, the Neptunes. Over layers of breathy release and enraptured murmuring, Spears utters the title line like a self-deflating sigh, followed by the words, I can't control it, I cannot hold it. The song is supposedly about loving music, but there's no mistaking the erotic mood of submissiveness. This is a and the video shows a dance floor dissolving into an orgy, and this is Brittany contemplating entering the orgy and <laughs> clearly losing control. So this is a <laughs> section now I cut out where I talk about how she's influenced by Aaliyah and quote uh earlier than Spears, uh, calling Aaliyah a real person chasing an ideal of electronic perfection, which is, I think, what Brittany also is doing. The sound of Spears's music connected her focus on the dynamics of dominance and submission with the pla- within the plas- with the plastic new world of cyborgs and cyberspace. As her career progressed, Spears became immersed more and more deeply within the sphere of the electronic. Music writers whose ears were accustomed to the declamations of fleshy, ego-assertive rockers and rappers found this troubling, and I could have quoted a million writers who <laughs> felt this. By 2003 when she released the frankly erotic album in the zone, critics were bemoaning the veritable absence of spheres from within within her own songs. Her voice is so processed, her physicality almost disappears, wrote John Perellis in a review for Rolling Stone. Kelly Fasane wrote in the Times that the album was almost perversely devoid of personality. I guess he didn't see in Spears what he saw in Aaliyah. In fact, Spears had become the prime example of the rise of what the Scottish philosopher Andy Clark has called the soft self, a melding of human and post-human, and this is Clark, post-human processes, some neural, (coughs) some bodily, some technological, and an ongoing drive to tell a story, to paint a picture in which I am the central Player. As young people increasingly incorporated technology into their daily lives and even into their bodies, Spears pursued a sound that was ever more synthetic, attached to lyrics that were increasingly sexual. Her self sexualization, Spears maintained, was simply an element of her famous work ethic put on to please her audience. In interviews, she consistently described herself as playing a part when behaving provocatively. Detractors called her a cynical cyborg or a blank screen for her ability to both project intense sexuality and stand apart from it. For her millions of fans, Spears' more human than human persona captured what it was like to have the new freedoms and abilities that technology presented. The virtual world was one place where young people played at sexual perfection. The children of the privileged could do so in the material world, too. The late 1990s and early 2000s saw a dramatic increase in plastic surgery within mainstream America, with minimally invasive techniques such as laser laser surgery and Botox becoming commonplace. In 1999, the Washington Post reported that 25,000 teens had cosmetic procedures, up 100% since 1992. Spears was allegedly one of them, getting breast implants shortly before she became a star. Journalists fretted that celebrities like Spears were inspiring very young girls to reject their natural bodies, yet they were also obliged to report that 50% of such girls had mothers who underwent the surgery, too. Is that for me? Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. Entering sexual maturity, teens of the new millennium tried to invent themselves as erotic beings within a, within a double helix of impossible, impossible ideals. The screen world, where they now interacted, instead of just passively consuming was populated by airbrushed superpeople. It was a place where cyborgs were real, and inhabiting it increasingly felt real. Physical life, inversely, seemed more and more like the screen world, a place where impossible goals could be realized. Women's bodies acted as maps for these new explorations, but men were not exempt. Teens pillaging their parents' medicine cabinets were likely to find Viagra, the anti-impotence drug that became the fastest-selling drug in history upon FDA approval in 1998. The jocks of the house might also be hiding a stash of their own supplements, participating in the creatine craze that overtook high schools after the scandalized but very well-built baseball player Mark McGuire, confessed to taking such performance-enhancing hans- drugs in 1998. Okay, then I have a section about Donna Haraway, we'll skip that, and science <laughs> fiction, but I we'll have to get in The Matrix. So, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Uh, <laughs> lots of things. Um, okay. Tapping into this uh, n- new way to play in science fiction, the Matrix trilogy, which launched in 1999, I've got to get, so there's the Donna Haraway, there we are, became uh, the era's definitive cinematic story by reimagining the world as a game. The films featured the sleek couple Neo and Trinity, played by the mirror image androgens Keanu Reeves and Carrie-Anne Moss, kicking ass and coupling within alternate realities that rendered them superhuman and super hot. (laughs) Nerds in the flesh, Neo and Trinity found their ideal forms by jacking into the Matrix, a computer platform which, though they were forced to be there, made them into the dream boats that audiences loved to watch. Blending eastern, eastern ruminations on the world as illusion with Japanese anime style and an epic through line that both questioned technology's dominance and made it irresistible, the Matrix marked the moment when the post-human became the ideal for the average multiplex popcorn chomper. Mu- I'm wrapping up here. Music writer Chuck Klosterman made the connection between Spears and The Matrix explicit in a 2003 Esquire magazine profile of the Ingenue. Citing a scene in which an androgynous child teaches Neo how to bend a spoon with his mind by realizing that experience itself is an illusion, Closterman wrote, Brittany is almost like the little kid who freaks out Keanu Reeves in The Matrix. You say you want to bend a spoon? Well, the first thing you need to realize is there is no spoon. Though his tone was disapproving, Klosterman's observation that Spears' ability to inhabit continually multiple, multiplying identities uh, somehow lifted her beyond those categories, or even negated them. Within her music and persona, sexuality was Britney's spoon, Sometimes, she ge- something she generated and could manipulate, but which was not natural to her, and therefore not confining. In this, she resembled the cyborg Haraway imagined, simply without the feminist framework, Her stardom was a warped fulfillment of the cyber-feminist ideal of erasing the limits culture had placed upon the flesh. Cyber-sluts resemble female action dolls... I didn't write this. And their well-designed interface... This is is my last paragraph. (laughs) Quote, cyber-sluts resemble female action dolls... And their well-designed interfaces acknowledge the role of gender technologies and made-up femininities, read a 1995 manifesto by the Australian feminist art collective VNS Matrix. The name is an interesting coincidence. The group's game All New Gen allowed players to shuffle among six choices to build a gender identity and ejected those who settled on mere male or female. Without being conventionally androgynous, Britney Spears did a similar dance. She is still the person you want to imagine, Klosterman wrote. She always will be, and she is making that decision. You are not. Okay, then I had some s- stuff about how what happened when she went under conservativeship sh- of her father, but You've I'm going to just minutes. Oh I do? Yeah. I can end? Yay, I can <laughs> All right. You gotta see another slide too. Okay, in his profile, Klosterman wondered whether Spears knew that she had this power. Her biography suggests that she did not know, or at least couldn't manage it. As her music became more electronic and lyrically explicit, the breezy Britney who laughed off her own contradictions collapsed beneath their weight. A 2004 quickie marriage to backup dancer Kevin Federline produced two sons, but ended acrimoniously in 2006. The next year... Spears suffered a very public nervous breakdown. At age 26, in what seemed like a subplot from a cyberpunk paperback, <laughs> Spears actually lost custodianship of herself, her public self at least, when, when her father was appointed her legal guardian, managing all of her daily and financial affairs. She remains under his conservativeship today. This tragedy, as one Rolling Stone cover story described it, did not interfere with Britney Spears' stardom. Ever the cyborgian slave to her pop career, Spears barely stopped working. And in her darkest personal hour, she became a darling of many critics who had long questioned her value and impact. Blackout, her fourth album, was released in the midst of her personal struggles. Though some reviewers remarked that she was merely a spectral presence on its cutting-edge dance music tracks, her voice utterly processed and pop possibly not even present on songs that featured up-and-coming vocalists Robin and Carrie Hilson, most delighted in Spears' full absorption into the computerized realm. Going full circle, Spears, the artist, wasn't simply emailing her heart. She had herself become code. Spears continued to have hit singles and tour, did, the, did a stint as a judge on the singing competition The X Factor and maintained a less hectic, if still lonely-seeming, personal life with multiple marriage engagements and the continued conservativeship of her father. In the mid-2010s, she settled into a Las Vegas residency, which many pop stars uh, considered a crowning achievement. Oops. Her 2013 hit single, Work Bitch, was a top-20 single, though it plummeted fast. In it, she tied together the themes of her life's work bodily perfection, human being as self-production, and the labor of the inexhaustible post-human pop star. You want a hot body? You want a Bugatti? You want a Maserati? You better work, bitch, she intoned in the flat, even tone of the GPS systems that came standard on the (laughs) smartphones and luxury cars named in the song. The body, the machine, the work. For Britney Spears, as for so many of her fans, it was increasingly all one. Thank you. Thank you, Anne.